0: Here's what's coming up on today's show.
1: The expenses early in retirement tend to be substantially higher at the same income level as they were when you were working. It's just the dollars are going to different places.
0: There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Welcome into the podcast. It's Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart and myself here to talk uh, about uh, some, well, kind of an important topic here, which is cash flow and mastering retirement cash flow, uh, understanding the changes, changing expenses, excuse me, as we go into retirement is going to be on the conversation here. And I guess we're going to kind of call this part one. We'll get into maybe the income side of things a little later on on another edition of the podcast. So, but for now, we're going to kind of talk about some of the things, some of the categories, how they might affect things one way or the other, positive or negative, uh, when we transition from, you know, where working and, and life as we know it into this thing called retirement. Mike's going to help us break it all down as usual. What's going on, my friend? How are you?
1: I'm doing well. It's July, so it's you know hot up here in the Midwest, but you know it's much better than a cold spring. Yeah, that's
0: true. And it's been a weird one. Huh? That's for sure. You and I were just chatting about all the, the wonkiness in the weather, but uh, I've got a lot to get into, Mike, so I'm going to jump right in and get rolling on this one this week because uh, it's a fairly large uh, group of things I want to run down. So in this episode, I want I'm going to kind of just run through things that you've seen in your many years doing this, helping folks transition. Because the transition, it's not just like I think we get hyper focused on let me get let me save right to get ready for retirement, and then now what kind of thing right? Like yeah, we're working with somebody or not working with somebody. I know I have to have money, but like how is it truly going to affect me and in the different categories that we hear so much about, but does it really work that way? So again, let's, let's break this down a little bit. What are some of the expenses that might drastically change that you've seen one way or another, positive or negative, uh, you know, positive cash flow or negative cash flow when it comes to the, your clients and things you've seen through the years? So let's start off with housing. I think that's typically considered what the top expense a lot of times uh, in retirement.
1: Yeah, as a, as a percentage of your budget is. And this is whether you have a mortgage or it's just, you know, you gotta carry property taxes, especially in Illinois. illinois right. is got the you know, third repair. highest property taxes. Right. Yeah, home yeah. repair. So, so, really, you know, there's kind of three things when it comes to housing. So, one of those is, you know, have you gotten rid of the mortgage, the principal and interest payment alone? As you go into retirement, because if you haven't, well, you still need that same level of cash flow just to, just to make that payment. You know, it, mm-hmm. you might need a little bit less income if you've paid that off ahead of time. But that's just something you want to know: is what's the timing of that? The the second part of the house is some people now they get a little bit more free time on their hands. They're looking to get that lake house or that you know condo in Florida, some kind of second home. So even if they've eliminated the primary mortgage, they've just picked up additional debt or additional housing expenses by a second home. And the third thing on the housing side that a lot of times comes up through is, you know, there's always a lot of talk about downsizing. You know, I'm in this, you know, big 3,000 square foot home, multi-level because you know this is where we raised our kids and things, but right. now it's just, you know, our client or their client and their spouse. And they're saying, you know what, not only do I want to reduce expenses, I want to reduce square footage, maybe look for a ranch, something I can actually spend the next 20 years in, you know, rather than have to make decisions down the road. So on the housing side, you know, those are kind of the three big areas that people really need to consider as they're going into retirement on how are you going to tackle these kind of things?
0: Well, it sounds like based on some of those that could affect your cash flow. Uh, you could either bring more cash flow back in if you pay off the house and you don't have that, or it could cost you more, right? So th- that one certainly is one that could go either way depending on what you want to accomplish in retirement.
1: No, a- absolutely so. And it's just that's where you, you always need to figure it in as far as you know how much income do I need to have coming in on a regular basis to either manage the expenses you already have or what the expenses are going to look like as you're in retirement.
0: Okay. So that's category one to consider on how it might change your cash flow outlook. Number two, no more work stuff. Whatever stuff might be. Uh, this one, I, I think, probably tends to improve your cash flow once you stop going to work. I don't know. What do you think? What do you see?
1: Yeah, on the no more work stuff. That's that's really things like what expenses are going to go away because you don't have to do the grind anymore, the nine to five. You know, so mm-hmm. are you going to be saving some money on commuting? Um, or you know, did you used to go out to lunch with your buddies every day? You know, and uh, there, so that's going to save you some money on that. Uh, Depending on the vocation that you had, you know, maybe you had to wear steel toe boots or maybe you had to have a certain uniform or, you know, certain wardrobe, you know, dress really nice or something. You know, a lot of that's gone out the window with, you know, work from home and those kind of things. But for the most part, that that's, you know, that could be thousands of dollars a year that just gets spent just because you've got to get to and from and actually do the position that you had.
0: Mm -hmm. So do you see this as often being a bit more um, positive to the cash flow because you've reduced these things?
1: Yeah. So so here's how that works, right? So it's a, on the no more work stuff. And I know I'm sure it'll be one of your future categories or something on here is, yes, you will save money on commuting because you don't have to go to the office, assuming mm-hmm. you were going to the office. You know, you won't have to, you know, wear that, you know, that dress or that sport coat and you won't have to worry about, you know, spending all, you know, what you're doing for lunch every day, five days a week at the office. Right. But what happens is that tends to get replaced by the fact that you have more idle time now. So now all of a sudden you've just got more time on your hands, and more time on your hands usually gets filled like, hey, I might want to do this project right. around the house. Yeah. I'm spending money at Home Depot now. I want to uh, travel to go see the kids, the grandkids, or some you know friends across the country. So you wind up picking it up and more in other expenses, especially early in retirement when it's all new.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. We'll just shift the order and jump into that. So, uh, travel and leisure it sounds like where you're you're headed with that. Uh, and so those things can happen. Right. And, and you're right. I mean, I was just doing a project. I've been doing a build project here. I'm not retired yet. But scope creep is the term my wife used. And I was like, oh, yeah, because the project kept getting bigger. Right. So the scope of it kept getting larger. So, yeah, you could certainly replace some of those prior expenses with the travel and leisure conversation.
1: No, absolutely. And because it was one of the key things on that. And, and we share clients with us, you know, because vicariously in the last 20 plus years as a fiduciary financial planner, we've lived through this and we've seen the good and the bad and the ugly with it with clients on especially the cash flow and retirement income side is saying we need to budget in maybe a little bit more than even what you anticipate because a lot of clients will come to us and they'll say oh well yeah you know i'm yeah i'll travel a little bit i'll just do that on my regular cash flow yeah i'm gonna you know volunteer i'm gonna do these kind of things but when it comes to travel and leisure side because you now realize every day saturday that you can do things anytime that you want to What winds up happening is saying that you're never going to be healthier than you are today, right? Every day that we get a little bit older, you know, there's a little chink in the armor. So the thing is, you're going to want to do this early in retirement, the big trips, the travel, all those things while you still have your health and you know, why you have time still. So because of that, the expenses early in retirement tend to be substantially higher at the same income level as they were when you were working. It's just the dollars are going to different places.
0: Okay. All right. Next category, healthcare. Uh, obviously a top tier category in retirement, because while maybe early on, Mike, some of the other things are getting, uh, the money's getting burned up on some of the things we've covered, uh, healthcare may be costing more on the back end.
1: Yeah, what happens with healthcare is a couple things. One, are you retiring before 65? And, and if you are, well, how are we going to bridge, you know, private policies to get you to Medicare if you're eligible at 65? And then typically at 65, when you're eligible for Medicare, even with the supplements, the costs go down dramatically. But what happens is at the last segment, we were talking about how individuals, you know, they travel more, they want to spend more and do those kind of things. They think that, oh, yeah, but when I get in my 70s or so or my 80s, of course, I'm not going to be doing that kind of stuff at the same level, Mike. So I'll need less money then. What happens is travel and leisure and a lot of those things just get replaced with additional out-of-pocket health expenses. You You need a knee. You need a hip. You know, there's, (laughs) there's some kind of issues going on. You're kind of like the bionic man at some point. So, th- so the whole point of that is just making sure that you know initially one if you're gonna retire before 65 how do you bridge into Medicare secondarily once you actually do get on Medicare and get retired understand that there's going to be just more expenses that are going to kind of nickel and dime your budget a little bit as well
0: yeah one of these days uh, going down to the part store is going to take on a whole different meaning right <laughs> okay. where are you going down to the part store I need a new hip I'll be back later. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, taxes—another category. So far, Mike, this is a little daunting because it sounds like we're getting to retirement, and there's not a lot of uh, of uh, adding back into the cash flow. It seems like a lot more going out, which, again, is the point of having a strategy and a plan in place, right? So that you can tackle all these things. But talk to me about taxes.
1: Yeah, on the tax side, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you've been a saver your whole life, right? You've just been working head down, you know, doing what you have to do, put money aside until that day, and now it's that day. But, you know, one of the things people don't realize is the tax impact of a lot of things, too. So, you know, people that, you know, had, you know, multiple six figure incomes and things like that, they may actually see a drop, a slight drop in the amount of taxes they have to pay in retirement if they've planned properly. But what for most people, what we see with a lot of our clients, and this is whether they made $80,000 as a household or $400,000 as a household, they don't actually live on a much reduced income in retirement. And the reason why is, you know, they were accustomed to a certain lifestyle. So whether that involved travel or living in that same home that they're in right now, or, you know, just their normal spending budget or maybe some debts or mortgage or something that they carried into retirement, they actually need pretty close to the same level of income, which means that unlike most people think is like, well, hey, I've been deferring all these taxes, I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. The reality for most is you're in the same tax bracket in retirement. It's just that now you're funding it out of your savings instead of getting a paycheck.
0: Mm. Okay. Well, speaking of savings, surely this category here is going to be one that's going to put some extra dollars back in our pocket. What about, you know, pumping into the retirement accounts? If you're retired, you're not doing that now.
1: Yeah, correct. So most people, let's say you're maxing out your, you know, you're over 50, you're maxing out your 401ks, putting 30 grand a year in, getting a company match. Mm-hmm. That's been lowering your tax bill as well if you've been doing it pre tax. But now all of a sudden you, you get in, you're no longer doing that, right? You're not saving for retirement when you're already retired. Right. But so you know, so technically that's less cash flow that you need because you weren't seeing that anyhow, you know, out of your gross income. But at the same time, one of the things that you look at is now you're actually taking from there. So if you don't have a good income plan that not only mitigates the taxes and that. But allows you a safe withdrawal rate to understand where your income's coming from in good markets and bad. That can sneak up on you as you see your retirement savings diminish a little bit too. Yeah,
0: you're not adding to it; you're taking from it. So again, huh, boy, a lot, a lot of changing expenses that happen when we get to uh, <laughs> retirement and, and the cash flow needs. Uh, one more, and then I want to ask you about some kind of uh, mitigating factors that kind of affect all of these different categories. Uh, insurance.
1: Yeah, the types of insurance that you look at, you know, when, you, when you're when you working and especially if you had a family at home and things like that, you know, it was disability, it was life insurance, those kind of things. Now, depending on your level of savings, your level of liabilities and that, you may not need those anymore. You don't need disability insurance when you're no longer working. On the life insurance side, if you've got everything paid off and you've been a good saver, you may not even need life insurance on here. So a lot of those expenses can go away. But just like everything else we talked about, what do they get replaced with? Well, supplemental insurance, you know, because there's certain things that Medicare doesn't cover, maybe like your dental and things like that. Or what about long-term care insurance now? You know, In the event that you had a health care event, how would you pay for it? Mm. So a lot of times, you know, as, as one bucket of the insurance is kind of declining in cost, you've got all these new ones that start kind of propping their head up a little bit.
0: All right. So we've got the expenses. We've covered multiple categories here. So let's talk about some factors that continue to contribute to cash flow problems in retirement. Uh, and these aren't necessarily like a definable category like housing or something like that i got a couple of these for you to run down. And and the big one to me is longevity, Mike, because it truly does affect everything else that we've covered so far.
1: Yeah. So longevity is what they call a risk multiplier. Because if you think about what's all the things that could possibly go wrong, you know, once you're in retirement, so the markets could crash. You're out, great. Well, guess what? The longer you're, that you're retired, you know, most people have about a 30-year retirement. The longer you're retired, the more likely you're going to see a bunch of bear markets along the way. Uh, you know, what's interest rates going up and down, taxes going up and down? All of these things are, and even healthcare events, like we talked before, all of these things are going to be things that the longer you live, the more likely there's going to be some negative outcomes along the way. So you just need to make sure you've got them worked into your plan. Yeah.
0: You and know, I think where people make a mistake, Mike, is that they think, okay, we're, if we change some expenses, our must haves to nice to haves or vice versa, uh, we can make our plan work. And longevity comes back to bite you here because, you know, maybe you've got that figured out for the expenses for a number of years, but what if you do live really long? Or what if one person lives really long, right? So just don't let that be uh, the extra factor that comes up and bites you. If you're trying to, I guess fudge the numbers to make the retirement plan like you really want to retire so I'll cut a couple of corners or something and that'll help us get into retirement and then we'll be fine once we get there we just may have to you know cut a few things and that's just not a good plan it's not a good strategy because eventually that's going to come back to get us maybe even in a time like now when inflation maybe that pops up again right somewhere along the way during retirement and you're like holy cow this is really chip you know uh, chewing away at the money and we already tried to skimp now we're really in trouble.
1: Yeah, and you definitely see that with inflation. And you know, for you know, well over 20 years now, the government said, you know, inflation is almost non-existent, right? It was at 1%, 2%, or so. Historically, it's averaged well over three, almost 3.5%. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the last couple of years, you've seen, you know, nine and a half prints, eight and a half prints. It's finally down below five and you'll know, probably settle in back to three and a half or four, but it's going to be around for a while. And all inflation is is that the fact that everything's getting a little bit more expensive every single year. The thing that a lot of people don't understand about inflation specifically right now, yes, the numbers are coming down, which is a very positive thing. You know, the Fed raising rates and, you know, supply chains getting fixed, all these kind of things are good for inflation. The downside of that, though, is if they come out and say, hey, inflation's only four and a half percent year over year. You're like, well, that's good because it was six, eight, you know, nine, you know, six months ago, 12 months ago. Right. The problem is that just means everything is still four and a half percent more expensive than it was last year. Doesn't mean like they're giving any of that money back or prices are going back to where they were. It just means that, you know, you're still paying more than what you were before. It just happens to be paying more a little more slowly. So where that works in a retirement plan, especially a retirement income plan, is just making sure when we put a retirement income plan for people together, we come back and say, okay, look, you can generate all the income that you need, accomplish all the things that you want to do. But here's how we're going to get a rising income over time. Because if we, you know, we had a million dollars, we need 50 grand a year of supplemental income off of that, that's 5%. Well, in three years, five years, 10 years... That same amount of income isn't going to buy the same amount of stuff. So we've always got to make sure we have an inflation hedge in there and at least something with a growth component that can kind of keep up with inflation.
0: Well, speaking of a growth component, when we're talking about mastering our cash flow here, um, investment returns can be an area that can certainly contribute to the cash flow issues being
1: you know, uh, better or worse. Yeah, here, here's one of the ways our business model and our practice is different than you know most of your traditional Wall Street firms. A lot of them, they just want to talk about your investments, put you in a 60-40 stock bond portfolio, show you a mountain chart that the market only goes up over time. So that's why you got to you know, buy and hold, stay the course, and all that. And they're not necessarily wrong. The problem is that's great if you're a 30, 40, 50-year-old. If you're somebody approaching your 60s, if you're in your 70s or 80s and you're actually retired and you're living on a fixed income then your income needs to be a fixed income. And what I mean by that is understanding in good markets and bad, where is my income coming from? So I'm not having to spend my own principal, sell shares to get income. The way we do that is, and this doesn't matter how much you have in stocks or bonds or alternatives out there is, you know, using that million dollar example, somebody's got a million dollars and they need $40,000 of supplemental income on top of their social security and other sources. We make sure they're getting at least a 4% interest and dividend yield off the portfolio. Now that might be in dividend paying stocks. So they still get growth and there's your inflation hedge, but they can spend that interest. They can spend that dividends. It doesn't matter if the markets going up or down or sideways any given year because their cash flow is not dependent on did the market go up or down, or do I have to sell shares or not? Because when you position a portfolio that way, you now know where your income's coming in. You got an inflation hedge for over time, and it just makes it a much smoother ride for you without worrying about, okay, the market's down. Now I got to sell $30,000 worth of stuff. Well, right Mm. now that's cannibalizing principle, and that's how people run out of money.
0: Yeah. So I mean, there's lots of different ways here where expenses are going to change in retirement. Uh, There's definitely some categories that are going to affect those things that we went through some of those as well as uh, some other factors like longevity or taxation that's going to go in there or just you know market returns. So again, important conversation to be having with yourself and also with your financial professional. And we'll talk about another side of that on a future podcast. We'll talk about the income side of that. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy the content. You can find it on Apple Google or Spotify. Um, just simply go to those outlets, or just go to crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. And let's wrap up with an email question that someone sent into the website. Mike, it's from Catherine in Barrington, and she says, "Should I give some money to my kids and grandkids while I'm still alive, or just let them inherit everything when I die? I kind of like the idea of seeing them enjoy it, uh, but if it's better to leave it, you know, to them as inheritance, I can do that as well. What's your thoughts?"
1: Yeah, Catherine, this is a common question that we have, especially when our clients, you know, who've been good savers and they've got their budget in in order and they know how much income they need and that. And all of a sudden we get to our mid 70s, maybe even late 70s, and they start really kind of thinking we have these conversations and a lot of times we'll even bring it up to them. It's that, you know, there's one thing of, you know, giving to the the church and charitable organizations. But when you know you want to leave a legacy, you want to leave an inheritance, part of that conversation is, do you want to be able to see them enjoy it? while you're still with us, or is it just something on the back end? Now, most would like to see them enjoy it, you know, see their, their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids, and they, you know, actually, you know, benefit from them and they get, you know, personal satisfaction from that. The only caveat to that is how well-defined is your overall plan to mitigate any future risks we don't know how long we're going to live, right? So, we you know, we could be gone tomorrow or we might live to hundred and two. Uh, with the miracles of modern science <laughs> right. and things. So part of it, what we'd have to do is have that conversation of saying, okay, we know where our income's coming from. Do we have an inflation hedge like we talked about to get a rising income over time? Do we have long-term care insurance or enough assets that if we had a healthcare event, would we be able to pay for it? Because we can't start giving away money, you know, even though we'd like to see them use it right now, if we haven't protected ourselves in the long run. But if we've mitigated most of those risks, Then we can start carving some out and say, okay, whether it's to take them on a trip or actually give an inheritance or fund colleges or those kind of things, that becomes a really big thing. Because if you start thinking about a lot of clients that are in their late 70s, even early 80s, you know, even if they're in great health, so they may still be with us another 10 or 15 years. The issue then is, well, if you hold on to it on there and there's nothing wrong, no right or wrong answer in this. But if you hold on to it, how old are the beneficiaries going to be when they receive their inheritance? And what do you expect them to do with it? Because if you are, you know, 80 years old and you're having this conversation and maybe had your, your, you know, your oldest when you were 20, well, they're 60 now, Mm -hmm, right? So if you live another five or 10 years, they're going to get their inheritance at 70. What are they really, they're going to be having the same conversation that you're having today. You know, do I give it to my 50 and 60 and 65 year old kids now, or do I wait? You know, so that's why you want to kind of build that into the conversation of if it's financially doable, it probably makes more sense to do some of it during your lifetime.
0: All right. Great question. Thanks so much for submitting that into the podcast. And we always appreciate the questions that come in. And of course, if you've got questions or concerns, get onto the calendar with Michael and his team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Find them online at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. And you can hit subscribe again on whatever podcasting app you like. Just type in retirement success blueprint uh, into the search box of Apple, Google, or Spotify. Or again, find it all at his website, crystallaketax.com. Mike, thanks for hanging out and breaking this down. Look forward to talking to you again here pretty soon. And uh, this one, I think, came out right after 4th of July. So uh, we're taping it ahead of time, but hopefully everybody has a good 4th of July. All right, take care. All right, we'll see you next time here on the show. This has been Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies LLC are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Source. The Retirement Income Source and Sound Income Strategies LLC are associated entities.